Heavenly Father, go before me in this message, Lord. Allow us to further understand our call in your will, Lord, that you would be glorified through all that we do, that we would have Christian attitude as we go out into the world, Lord, exemplifying and imaging you, Lord, to a world that desperately needs your grace, your mercy, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of this morning's sermon is Not of the World. And I want to share a quote from Beyond Creation Science and use that to launch us into today's topic. The real reason the influence of secular unbelief is so great in our day lies in the widespread failure of Christians to understand the Bible in its own context and to present real Christianity to the world. In our recent sermon series, Things Christians Say, we have and do spend much of our time detailing the need to understand the Bible in its own context. This is very important. As we noted a couple weeks ago, it is through study and rightly dividing or interpreting the scriptures that we gain the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God which is necessary for the healing of the nations, the gospel. This morning, I want to talk more about the need for Christians to present real Christianity to the world. I imagine we have all heard Christians say, or may have said it ourselves, that as Christians we are called to be in the world and not of the world. In the world, not of the world. When I think of being in the world, I think of the Gospel of John, specifically chapter 1, where we read of Jesus, the Word of God, who was in the world and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him, John 1.10. I want to point out that the word used for the word world in Greek, cosmos, does not necessarily mean the planet Earth, but rather speaks of the design, the arrangement, or as one scholar said, the best way to depict the word is to speak of the society. The world that Jesus came into was the first century Jewish society, born of a woman, born under the law of Moses. Keep that in mind as we turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 to sort of give us context and to explain some things. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they do not know the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. You see, Jesus is about to explain his departure, his coming crucifixion that is going to happen in Jerusalem. And in doing this, the Apostle John reminds us that Jesus, or he's detailing for us, that Jesus told his disciples these things to keep them from stumbling because he knew he was about to leave. So he's about to impart to them wisdom about how the world is going to treat them as followers of him. Just as they persecute the Messiah, they will persecute those who follow the Messiah because his wisdom is not of this world. So 
These things Jesus did not say at the beginning because he was with them. He was there in his earthly ministry, wandering with them. And he knows that a time is going to come where he is not with them. And they need the encouragement through the Holy Spirit. This can apply to us today. We do believe that Jesus Christ is here, present, with us, in and through the church, as those that understand preterist eschatology. However, this wisdom would apply to us as well because we are in the world and not of the world just as Jesus was, and we do see a world that is hostile to the gospel. So this wisdom can apply to us to keep us from stumbling. Moving into the chapter, I want to go to verse 16. And Jesus continues this point here. He says, A little while, and you will no longer see me. And a little while again, and you will see me. Again, he's talking about his departure at the crucifixion. Then he will be raised to life, the resurrection of the dead, the sign of Jonah to that generation. Some of the disciples then said to him, What is this thing you are telling us? A little while, you will not see me. Then a little while, you will see me, because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while and you will not see me, and a little while you will see me? Truly I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. But you will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Again, the world is going to think they have one up on Jesus when they crucify him and tell him, you know, if you are the king of the Jews, if you are the son of God, take yourself down from that cross. And we know that story that Jesus three days later, what we celebrate on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, the joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, verse 21, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that that child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take that joy away from you. This is very significant. This is the joy we are called to have as believers. This is a part of our being in the world and not of the world. Understanding the joy that comes from and the satisfaction that comes from knowing God through Jesus Christ. Continuing here knowing the Father through Jesus Christ. Continuing here at verse 23. In that day you will not question me about anything, the day that their joy is brought about. Truly, truly, I say to you, if the Father, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. You see, your requests of the Lord make the joy full, because If it's in accordance with his will, you get to see the fruition. You get to see the very will of God being manifest by having the mind of God. These things I have spoken to you figurative. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed, and I have come forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said to him, Now you are using plain speech and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that, now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. 
Jesus answered them said, and said, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each one to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. Notice this. This is the reason for everything he just said. So that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. So as we read through this text, in the world means to be in society, to be you know, around society, to unfortunately as followers of Jesus Christ to bear the burden of persecution as we're in the world. To be not of the world means to be of the things that are above. To have the characteristics of Jesus Christ. To follow his teachings. To know his very intent. And in bringing forth that kingdom of God in the world and not of the world, we know that unfortunately there are those that will be hostile to the gospel. But we believe and we take courage and we overcome because we believe the gospel is the healing of the nations. The healing of the nations is in the world, but it's not of the world. It will not be achieved by worldly means. Continuing here into John chapter 17, verses 1 through 21. Jesus spoke of these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Lift up the Son. Fulfill all things in the Son, so that the Son may fulfill all things in you, that you may be lifted up, even as you gave him all authority over all flesh, and to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, aeonios zoe, an age-enduring life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I was with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world, out of that society, out of that born under born of a woman, born under the law of Moses. The men that he gave him, they were yours. You gave them to me. Again, that through that mediation of Jesus Christ. They were of the Father in that old covenant, but now they had been given to Jesus Christ. The very elect had been given to him, and they had kept his word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. We just saw this in the chapter before. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, the society around them, right? But of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, Father, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, in that, in that society any longer. He was no longer of that nature of being born of a woman, born under law. He was now glorified, going to be further glorified with the Father. And yet they themselves are in the world. The, the, the saints would be here. They would be in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. There was Judas who wandered away, betrayed the Lord. But now I come to you that... These things that I speak in the world, the society there, right, that all those things Jesus had proclaimed during his earthly ministry, because, oh, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Catch that. I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy made full in themselves. 
I have given them your word. And now we know he's not talking to the world. He's talking to the, to the disciples, those whom the Lord had given him. I had given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, out of that society there, right? But to keep them from the evil one, that carnal mind, that enemy. We've talked much about this here at this church. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, also I have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Now catch the power of this. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Because that's the mission of the church, to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Take a look at verses 5 through 6 there. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was, before that born, under, born of a woman, born under law society was. I have manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world. Again, we talked about out of that society. They were yours, you gave them to me. And you, they kept your word. Can't focus any more on the elect than that passage does. And he says that he does not ask on their behalf, but he asks on, be, uh, he does, he asks on their behalf, but not on behalf of the world. You see, this is very important. The saints have the very access to the God. The saints have the privilege of prayer being lifted up in and through the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we mean when we say in the name of Jesus Christ is by the authority that has been given to us, invested in his body, that we may be the fullness of all that he was, Ephesians chapter 1. That we may walk in that and experience the blessings that flow from being one with Jesus Christ and God the Father. Many in the world, let's take an applicational look at this for a moment. Many in the world lament the technology era. We have become so obsessed with these phones here. How can we be in the world, this is the challenge, and not of the world in our use of technology? Understanding the dilemma concerning proper communication, right, we, we understand that um, there's talking face-to-face and that social media and everything else has kind of hindered that um, relationship face-to-face. But how can we use social media for the glory of God? I'll tell you, in my social media, if you ever go through my Facebook, you know, it's evident I'm a Christian. However, you know, we would hope that people don't only know, uh, to use a quote from Jefferson Bethke, that people don't only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. But on my, so- my social media, you know, I do have a large amount of uh, evangelistic notions of sharing my faith, sharing information about church. And in one of my more recent finds on the internet, I found this quote that I would like to share with you. And this is how I believe social media and interaction can be used for the glory of God. Just have to kind of look it up here. That, I guess, would be the unfortunate part of social media is that sometimes our uh, social media doesn't work as fast as we need it to. Sorry about that. Just pulling it up now. It's a great quote about eternal life that I would like to share. Here we go. What is eternal life? It is a thing present. Because again, we see here Jesus Christ says that this is eternal life. John 17, 3. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? 
It is a thing present. Never think of eternal life as a thing beginning the other side of the grave. It begins now or not at all. To know God is eternal life. But remember, it is no knowledge of God or of Christ to know them intellectually, to know them abstractly. You must know them personally. You must not know of them as you read in a book or as you know a person in history, but you must know them as you are intimate, whose mind you have read, in whose smile you have sunned yourself, in whose heart you are, with whom you have held sweet converse. That is life here. That is life forever and ever. That is a quote by Jay Vahorn in one of his 50 sermons. I'll tell you, that's beautiful. That's eternal life, age-enduring life, that we would not be caught up in the spirit of the age. I remember learning the German word for that, zeitgeist, a couple of years ago, in the atheistic notions, the secular humanism that is offered by our society. And I realized and came to conclusions about how the gospel, not only in a life after biological death notion, but a life here, a life of knowing the very presence of God, of knowing God through Jesus Christ. And I realized in that very moment that if the zeitgeist, the spirit of the era, is to, or the spirit of the age, is to know God on your own terms, to allow the traditions of men to overcome, or the thinking of man to overcome the truth of God then abundant life is found by allowing his truth, worshiping him in spirit and in truth, and allowing that truth to give us very satisfaction in the very now. That I would not be led astray by tradition. I would not be led astray by leaning upon my own understanding, but I would seek the wisdom of the Lord, the wisdom that is from above. And that is the very notion of eternal life. And I believe we could do that, being in the world and not of the world. That is our very message. In John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40, Jesus testifies before Pontius Pilate that his kingdom is not of this world, but if his kingdom was, his servants would fight because they would have relied upon the wisdom of times before them, of men's wisdom. You see, in that first century, there was quite a few different notions about how the kingdom of God would come about. You had the Essenes who believed they had to flee out to the desert to depend upon their own wisdom and Go out there and and wait for the coming of the kingdom of God. God didn't tell them to do that. The Pharisees believed their traditions overrode whatever. They were so blinded by tradition that they did not even listen to the spirit of God. The miracles that were performed right in front of them. Being guilty of that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke of. We had, again, all the different sects, the zealots who would have encouraged the saints to fight, to see the rebellion, and to overthrow the government. Therefore, their Messiah would not have been crucified. Another text by the Apostle John is is the epistles. And I want to take us to 1 John chapter 2. Tie his wisdom from there into what we're saying here. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. From what was from the beginning... What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifest and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Our joy as saints, as we encourage others to understand and to pursue the very notion of eternal life. Again, we know that this was written to the saints in the first century regarding the very word of God. However, this continues to abound for the glory of God age to age as we read there in the book of Ephesians. 
as more people come to understand eternal life through Jesus Christ. Again, eternal life is defined for us biblically in John chapter 17, verse 3. It is to know God and the one whom he had sent, Jesus Christ. And that's why John starts this epistle in that manner. Moving over to uh, verse chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, we read this. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Again, we're talking about that society, cosmos there. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, Contextually, we know this is speaking of that old covenant, the born of a woman, born under law. That was society that this is primarily speaking to. However, in our very real current situation, just looking at society as is, looking at the desires of the people around us and watching their destruction, can it be any more evident that this wisdom applies here as well? I don't think so. I think it's very clear. You see, in Romans chapter 12, we are told to do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. And yes, the context begins in chapter 11 where it's talking about the manifestation of Jesus Christ, the very mystery of God to the Jews, and that the Gentiles, the northern tribes, would be grafted in and that the Israelites would be hardened. People of Israel were hardened altogether, all 12 tribes, whether they were of Judah, whether they were of the north, they were hardened to the gospel of Jesus. Just, just as many of the world today are hardened to the gospel of Jesus. So yes, there is a primary context to this. However, do not allow the confusion of many who are trying to read themselves out of the Bible, do not allow that confusion to lead you in dismay in regards to the wisdom of God in Scripture. Again, we see it. It can't be any more evident. The world around us, the society around us, waxes old and grows old and decays and destroys itself because... It relies upon the wisdom of man and tradition. We watch it. So in Romans chapter 12, I love therefores. Everybody knows that about me. Therefore, being that I said all of this, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is the spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, I could give you all sorts of contextual details here. For example, the word bodies is talking about collective groups rather than the individual offering up his physical body. It's talking about the physical groups such as Jews and Gentiles that were gathering there at the Church of Rome. The different bodies, the different identities, the different assemblies that were gathering as the church, the different homes they were meeting in, the different, you know, again, you imagine being a Jewish convert and a Gentile convert. You had a group of friends that were converted to the faith. You were meeting with them or a group of brothers and sisters, not friends, uh, you know, again, these are your, your assemblies, your bodies. And what the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Rome is that they need to have these different assemblies, if you allow the writing in its context. They need to have these different assemblies unite in Jesus Christ, not be conformed to the division and confusion that was found there in that first century society, born of a woman, born under law. That wisdom could very well apply to the church today, that we would not conform to the pattern of the world that we would be united in Jesus Christ so that we can show the world what the perfect will of God is, 
what it means to know God through Jesus Christ. A body is a local assembly, a kingdom, kingdom outpost. We need to display the glory of God. What I find lamentable is that more often than not, Christians demonstrate attitudes that are out of the world, but of the world. Yes, we're different. We're on the margins, sure. But we're of the world. We have that same confusion, that same division, that same spirit of the age, that zeitgeist of the age that works against us. That's not our call. That's not what we're called to do. I want to share a little bit with you uh, two pieces of wisdom from Scripture that I believe apply to being in the world and not out of the world. And the first comes from the prophet Jeremiah as the saints were sent into Babylon to be in the world and not of the world, in a world of idolatry, which again I do believe transcends to our very culture today. They were put in a society of idolatry. And I want you to listen to what the wisdom from the prophet Jeremiah is to those captives, just to give you a bit of context, I'll start at verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent to Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests and the prophets of the, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had driven into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah the queen, and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and the Jerusalem, and the craftsmen and smithsmen, smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemara, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying this. This is what the Lord has said, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give them to your daughters and husbands to be husbands that they may bear sons and daughters. Do not multiply and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf. Catch the power of this here. For its welfare, in its welfare, you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream for they prophesy falsely in my name. I have not sent them. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed in Babylon, I will visit you and will fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place, the land of Canaan, their land of promise there. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, for plans of welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from where I have sent you into exile. Now, there's quite a lot of context here. The first primary context is, yes, these exiles are sent into Babylon and they are promised 70 years by the prophet Jeremiah. 70 years. And you imagine many prophets came to them and told them, you are going to be here forever. Do not hope in the Lord. Do not trust in the will of God that after 70 years you will be restored. You're going to be here forever. You're going to perish here. You can almost hear the spirit of the age. There's no hope. Do not trust in what God has said. Now, yes, they were taken out of Bondage in AD, um, 70 years later, 586, after 586 captivity, 70 years later they were restored. However, we know that the Ark of the Covenant was never restored to those people. Their full hope, their hope of the presence of God being restored to them in the land under the rule of God was not restored to them. 
with the, present, the very presence of God. So they waited and they had a 400-year time of silence and then Jesus Christ came, came as the fulfillment, the true fulfillment of the land promises, of the presence of God. That's the context. The type and the anti-type. So I hear many people, many people of our day, you know, quote Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, and it's not necessarily contextual because, again, we're not the people that were sent into bondage. However, there's an application that God has plans of peace. But also what I want you to see is the significance here of what he wants these people, these exiles to do while they're in that land. He wants them to prosper their land, to continue their customs, to build their community. And in building their community and helping prosper the society around them, they will be blessed. That's what it means to be in the world and not of the world. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, we read those uh, Beatitudes there. And in one of the Beatitudes, it tells us that we are the salt of the earth. We are the city on a hill. And I love what the uh, Message Bible says in regards to Matthew chapter 5. It says that in being the salt of the earth, we are called to bring out the God flavors of the, uh, in the earth. You know, I have a thing I call Project Restore, and I believe that it is our call as Christians to go into the world and to restore, to show the value, to exemplify, to magnify the beauty of God. What the church fathers refer to as the vestigia day, the traces of God that are embedded in the world. It's our job to magnify, to bring those things out, like salt does bring out the amazing flavor of a piece of steak. Sorry to the vegetarians amongst us. You know, one of my favorite reads is the letter to Diognetus, a second century letter that uh, was written by Diognetus, who was a tutor to the emperor of uh, the emperor of Emperor Marcus Aurelius. Sorry, Diognetus was a tutor to the emperor Mar- Marcus Aurelius, who admired him for his freedom and superstition and sound educational advice. And this letter, um, letter to Diognetus from Mephites. Um, it's meditations, and it's just a beautiful image of the Christians being in the world and how they lived there in that second century of Rome. I urge you to check it out. They were in the world and not of the world. One of the primary teachings I could teach to us and tell us about in being in the world and not of the world is to be balanced. Jesus was the perfect example of being in the world and not of the world. We need to seek more of that spirit. You see, Jesus' time sort of looks like our time. You have the separatists who are the Christians that believe they're going to be very self-righteous and separate from society, and that's how they're going to exemplify the morality of God. You have the blenders who decide, decide they're going to show the mercy and the love and the grace of God by completely blending into society where they, there's no difference. These are wrong. These are erroneous. We need to be restorers. We need to be going in calling out the sin, calling, rebuking the things that are against sound doctrine, rebuking the things that are against the very nature and spirit of God. All the while, calling out and magnifying the things of beauty that are there, the vestigia day. The only way this works is by the whole church living out their call to be in the world and not of the world, each member doing their part. Where has God called you? Are you living that out, restoring the very presence, the very beauty of God to whatever place God has placed you. Do not be conformed to the way of the world, church. We all need to come together, and even though we might be doing this in different ways, we need to magnify the image of God. That's our call. 
That's what we've been doing in our discipleship classes that I have recently started, going through Alan Hirsch's book, 5Q, talking about each and every one of the components and our place in the body of Christ. So my concluding thoughts this morning is to bring up a quote, which I'm going to, it's a German quote, I'm going to chop it up, sorry. Nicht religious Christenum. Have the courage to uncompromisingly follow Jesus in the world and not of the world. How do we best exemplify the restorative grace and truth of God of being in the world and not of the world? Seek that in your life. I think of places or, or upcoming Hall- Halloween and you know Reformation Day, whatever you like to refer to it as, Harvest Day. And I think of a quote that was shared with me this week. I don't understand. We are not to observe the customs of the pagans, but yet you sponsor All Hallows' Eve or similar, similarities. Please explain. And I, my first thought is, who of our culture is worshiping Samahin? Who of our culture, who of our society at this point knows who Samahin is? What our society does on Halloween is goes out and has fun. Why would the church be so obstinate to stand against that and the only thing people see is that we are caught up in our own religious custom rather than restoring the presence of God in any moment that we can. Why not go and be a part of the activities to reform the activities that are taking place in our society? I hear Christians grumbling against All Saints Day and the celebration of uh, you know, Catholic tradition. Instead, I, on that day, I do decide to look back to men like John Huss, Martin Luther, Bonhoeffer, people of whom Pastor Steve shared with you last week. Think of Election Day and our call to go in the world and be not of the world and to bring out the flavors of God in our voting process. If we don't do it, nobody will. Our growing goal for this week is to use this wisdom, to be in the world and not of the world, to do Project Restore, to uncompromisingly follow Jesus Christ, that German quote there, to be not of the world. Develop a praise to share next week in how you've been in the world and not of the world. That you've followed this call. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your example. May you give us a spirit that will follow you uncompromisingly, Lord. That you would get all the glory, that the world would see your image, your standard, your church, making known the manifold wisdom of God, healing the nations, doing our very call, Lord. May we experience the blessings of following you, Lord, and stand firm and persevere in the times of trouble, knowing that you have overcome the world, knowing that we are one in you and that through being one in you, Lord, we are one with the Father that we can see that peace and that presence of God in our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.